You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of the 355. Remember that story that they told us about in training? About George Washington's first female spy during the revolution. They called her Agent 355 because they didn't want the world to know her real name. But her legacy lives on. We're the top agents from around the world. American, British, German, Colombian, Chinese. But now we have a common enemy. They can start World War III from simple reach of their keyboard. So we need to join forces. It's like half the CIA's most wanted. Always such a tough guy. I'm not an agent, I'm a therapist. They thought I would give you my secrets. Do you have secrets? We put ourselves in danger so that others are not. I'll handle the guns. Are you in therapy? I should be. You're the best in the world at what you do. You have cameras in your jewelry, comms in your earrings. You bump, I grab. The target is on the move. You're not going in there alone. We'll go together. I have a family. I cannot do this anymore. The bad guys are out there right now. You go home, you bring them with you. Are you under control? Are you? No. Black cars, all black, everything. I've got four more agents out on the street. I counted six, but thanks for the tip. Team. We're the 355. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for the 355, and the story is as follows. CIA agent Mason Brown joins forces with a rival German agent, a cutting-edge computer specialist, and a Colombian psychologist when a top-secret weapon falls into the hands of a group of mercenaries. Together, the four women embark on a breakneck mission to save the world while staying one step ahead of a mysterious figure who's tracking their every move. The film is starring Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, Penelope Cruz, Diane Kruger, Bing Bing Fan, Sebastian Stan, and Edgar Ramirez. It is written and directed by Simon Kinberg and written by Teresa Rebeck. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Dan Baer. That cast. Oh my God. <laughs> and also now joining us for the first time here on a podcast review, officially as a new member of NBP, we have Amy Smith. Well, an honor it is to start my career by talking about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is January. <laughs> so. The 355 is the follow-up film from Simon Kimberg, whose previous film and only film, his directorial debut, was the X-Men movie Dark Phoenix, which wrapped up uh, that film's franchise. And I guess he must have had a great working relationship with Jessica Chastain because here they are reteaming again. Uh, This time, Jessica Chastain has, as a producer, assembled over a group of really, really, really talented actresses to come together for an action espionage film that usually would be reserved for men. Uh, We've seen a bunch of men gathering in films such as this before. Combined star power usually sells the movie. And here we're getting a little bit of 
kind of adrenaline pumping action combined with some Ocean's Eleven spy espionage and then also the just a sexiness of the actresses and what they are bringing to these roles here as a unit collectively as they play off of each other with their banter, their personalities, and of course, uh, their commanding screen presence. You know, it's a really, really great idea on paper. But it all comes down to the execution, and their director is Simon Kinberg, who didn't really instill that much confidence with me with Dark Phoenix, but I kind of always chalked that up to, you know, the fact that that movie had a really rough production. I, I just feel like that wasn't the right movie to start a career with. You know, I, I feel like a director should usually start small, work their way up to something of that scale and that size. And maybe this should have been reversed, if anything, but... To say that the bar was set pretty low is an understatement, and even still, here we are. (laughs) So, what did everyone think of the 355? Amy, we're going to start off with you. What did you think of this? Yeah, so, um, Dark Phoenix is one of my least favorite films like the past decade. I just, I love the X-Men franchise, but that just sent it absolute crashing down for me. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to give this hope i actually thought for a while this was a netflix film the way it was being marketed with the okay. cast <laughs> Me too. Of yeah i seriously thought this was a netflix film and then i saw it in trailers and cinema i was like oh this is a natural film that people are going to have to pay to see in cinemas okay and if you are paying a ticket to go and see these women be badass you're going to get that this cast is phenomenal it, Penelope Cruz for me is the MVP. There are some people that are wasted. We can talk about that later on. There are some great moments within the film and some great sort of tension built within it. But sadly, the direction leads it to be kind of messy, I think. It just falls apart, filled with cliches. And overall, unless you're going in just to see these women kick ass, it's just another January film for me, unfortunately. Sure. Yeah, I totally get that. Dan, what did you think, though? Yeah, for the traditional dumping ground of the first week of January, this is actually pretty good. But by any other metric, um, oof. as a director, Simon Kinberg is a really good writer. He does not have a very strong visual sense. And, like, it, it's fine. Scenes work on a purely functional level. But there's nothing interesting or exciting about these action scenes. And you go to a spy thriller, you hope there's going to at least be some good action scenes. And these are just so rote and uninspired. And to the extent that it works and to the extent that it's watchable, it is solely because of this amazing cast. And they are doing like yeoman's work. It comes off more to me as like an advertisement for you know like the Saoirse Ronan Little Women women <laughs> or the Nicole Kidman Golden Globe acceptance speech oh the power of women like it's just seeing these people be, do these kind of roles that I none of them have really done before I mean Chastain kind of has with also another really 
um, not so great movie, Ava. Um, but the rest of them, this is kind of, oh no, because uh, Bing Bing Fan was in uh, X Men Days of Future Past, I guess, but like, was she? But they're amazing. And it's so great to see them in this kind of movie. I just wish the movie itself was better. Yeah, I am of two minds on this. One is that if you want to ignore that this movie is pretty poorly put together and you want to just kick back and enjoy it and enjoy the presence of these actresses, them riffing off of each other, them kicking some butt, traveling around the globe, shooting some guns. Fine. Like, I'm not going to take that away from you. So if you enjoyed this for that reason, all well and good. I don't think that they are to blame in this case. I actually think that all of the actresses themselves really brought their A-game to this. And there are even times where I was kind of caught off guard by how good some of the performances were from them in this. Like Penelope Cruz, I thought was fantastic. Diane Kruger was fantastic. Lupita Nyong'o, like all of them. All of them, I thought, were really, really good here. So I don't put any of the blame on them at all. I really do lay all of this at the feet of Simon Kinberg, who does not ever, in my opinion, because I was trying to pinpoint exactly why this didn't work. And I kind of brought it down to two things. One is that I think that the story itself is extremely out of date. It feels like something that we would have seen in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it didn't really, for me, stand out at all. And it felt like more an excuse to have like female like action stars just come together, like kind of almost like that girl boss attitude mentality, um, but with no meaning behind it. Yeah, it's almost like a female version of the Expendables, except they're not really that kind of like action movie legend status. No. And also it doesn't have as much of a sense of, uh, I wouldn't quite say camp, but fun. No, I I would argue that it can be fun at at times. At times. But it's not consistent in that tone. Yeah. And the second thing is that the action sequences themselves, which I would like to start off as a jumping off point here as to what you all thought about them, the action sequences to me fall victim to having a lack of imagination. And I'm just really starting to believe that nowadays, unless if you're Paul Greengrass, who really commits to the style of overly edited, shaky handheld camera work that still, by some miracle, is able to showcase the fight choreography in a way that both feels very clear and chaotic at the same time. I really think that all modern day action directors or even these highly produced uh, studio action movies, if you're utilizing this style, to me, that shows a lack of confidence in how to shoot and later edit and put together these sequences because there is some very interesting fight choreography going on here at times, and I feel like we just can't mm-hmm. see it. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially the first scene where we get 
the sort of bag stolen and it's all completely shaky. I can't see a thing that's going on and it should be an interesting fight. There is one scene that I found, uh, I think it was halfway through film, where they purposefully black it out and do this weird editing cut style. That worked for me. That scene really worked. That was the only aspect of the film that I feel like had some unique style within it and it actually built up the tension. But aside from that, I don't remember a single interesting piece of action within the entire film which says something for an action film yeah the one thing i remember is uh, the very last fight scene when they explode the floor and it drops which it's and it's not that that is particularly memorably staged or shot it's just oh cool they dropped a whole floor on these fuckers i mean the what really it comes down to is it comes down to our level of investment in this movie will boil down to the characters themselves and this is where i think that despite the action not being that good you can sort of get into the movie a little bit because they are trying to outline of the distinct personalities of each of these uh, women, with the exception of uh, Bing Bing Fan, who I think gets, you know, the least amount to do out of all of them, considering that she's introduced, obviously, late into the movie. Uh, But everyone else here, I think that they do as good of a job as they probably could. Like, Like I said, it's kind of like they're doing the bare minimum, but at least it's there to allow the actresses to really inhabit their characters on an emotional level. So that this way, when we get to the turning point in the movie around like the midway point, there's like one scene in particular that just caught me off guard with how much the stakes were risen. And I was really entranced by the performances that each of the actresses were given when they had guns to their heads and they were put in a really, really dangerous uh, situation. I, I, I was like, wow, like. This movie really just kicked it up a notch, didn't it? But I think it all comes down to their performances and how well they're able to sell it. Like to me, I was more invested in any of that than I was in any of the set pieces in this. I completely agree. And that scene is it works like magic, but it also comes place after another one of those just like boring, uninspired by the book action scenes. And after another, like, a, like the twelfth massive exposition dump. Yeah, like, I was about is... to say all the exposition dump in this was Ugh. insane, especially since we're trying to focus this on technology, and like that is also really cliche. You have this big technology thing that we're all trying to get their hands on. It's like, could you not done something a little more imaginative? This does feel really outdated, despite how much we're trying to make it modern. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's There's something about the script that could be like, you know, a throwback or like it could have been a kind of self-aware genre deconstruction or something. But instead, it's just like we're going to write a basic AF spy movie and give the roles that should be men, women and call it a day. Like, that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's like the bare minimum is being done here. Yeah. And I will say there's something to be said for having actresses and performers of this caliber, which is, I'll just say it, a higher caliber than we normally get in these types of movies. Yeah. And it's proof that 
you get what you pay for. Like you pay the higher prices for Academy Award nominated and winning actresses. You're going to get performances that pull your script out of whatever muck you've drained it into. And Diane Kruger. <laughs> Who is a con best actress winner, lest we forget. True, true. Uh, but no, I, I completely agree. I think that all of them, like I said before, deliver really fantastic performances here. I don't understand why we are seeing less of Lupita Nyong'o on screen than we probably should. But every time that we do, she is always on point. And I go back and forth on who my favorite performance is in this movie between her, Cruz, and... Even Kruger snuck up on me. I, at first, and early on in the movie, I wasn't quite sure if I was actually going to like her character. But by the end, she really did win me over. And Chastain, I think, is at her best when she is playing off of Sebastian's stand. But I don't think that she is stretching herself as an actress. And I mean, quite frankly, I don't know if any of these actresses really are stretching themselves necessarily in this, no. but I wasn't like blown away by anything that Chastain was doing in this compared to Lupita or even Cruz, who has the difficult role of having to be the only quote unquote normal one <laughs> of the group mm -hmm. who is caught in circumstances beyond her control. Yeah, she is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I The level of like, subtlety and depth and nuance she brought to this character i was like oh you're you're really taking this seriously okay i'm i was so into everything that penelope cruz was doing in this movie she gave it real heart and soul through that performance the rest of them i i diane kruger those bone dry line readings are just so great i loved listening to her i thought she was so much fun but, like, again, like, she was literally introduced by her boss going, like, well, you're a rogue and you never do anything anyone tells you. And maybe it's because you have daddy issues. <laughs> like, <laughs> the screenplay's not good. <laughs> no. <laughs> or, like, it could have been good if. Like, like Mason is introduced in this, right? As, as it's like, <laughs> they pretty much just spell it out for us in her early scenes with Sebastian Stan that, like, you know, what does she say to him? She says to him something like, You're my best friend. I have yeah. nobody else. <laughs> just like, okay, just tell us, like, flat out this character is a loner why don't you at the moment as well when we're like oh if we make this official something bad's gonna happen it's like okay well something bad's about to happen that's great to know thanks <laughs> you've watched them in unforgettable adventures love affairs and tragedies now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories from the makers of death of a rock star and death of a sports star this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Hey there. hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. 
We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. There are so many moments in this movie, too, where I just feel like I found myself, whether it was because of a continuity error or if it was because I had to suspend my disbelief one too many times, I was just having to do double takes going, wait, what? You know, for example, um, there's a point in the movie where Chastain's boss (laughs) tells her, I can't put you on this mission. But if you wanted to go out on your own and I'm like, no, I'm like, that's not the way this is supposed to work. You're always <laughs> supposed to defy the boss and go out on your own anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just so unrealistic. Uh, the way that some of the stuff in this movie from a convenience uh, standpoint for the plot to keep things moving uh, just sort of occur in this. And I, I at a certain point, I was like, OK, I need to stop trying to make sense of this script. I need to stop trying to make sense of, you know, the characters. And I got to try to enjoy what I can in this. And as you mentioned earlier, Dan, if they had gone a more campy route with this and made it more more fun, I do think that maybe some more of the serious, dramatic moments of this, which were, for me, the best moments of the movie, I think those might have been diluted or lost entirely. So I don't even know if that would have been the right route to take here i i just kind of just come back down to i don't think simon kimberg was the right choice to direct something like this they, they should have brought in a different director who could have brought a different sense of style to the fight choreography to the action and that could have then elevated the script or made us forget that the script is full of holes contrivances and just mind-numbing moments of wait what <laughs> yeah or even uh have the script be worked on by someone with more experience with action movies. Well, I mean, Kim Kimberg does have experience with action movies. Yeah, but he co-wrote it with Teresa Rebeck, who is a fantastic playwright, but a not so great screenwriter. Let's Oh no, honest. Catwoman, Harriet the Spy. <laughs> and like just there's yes, the direction is bland and uninspired, but the concepts behind each of these set pieces, the location, what happens. I, I, I don't know that there was much way. I don't know that there was much a director could do with them to heighten them. I'm not sure, well, because the whole idea of this marketing is that these girls are from different locations, and I expected the locations to be more of a prominent feature, mm. whether it was getting to view these go- like a gorgeous landscape of France. And I don't know why, but it just felt bland. It felt like we could have been anywhere in the world. It wouldn't be like, oh, okay, we're all just in one place. I didn't get the sense of scale of this being a global mm. situation. And I feel like even if the locations was made more prominent, we maybe would have gotten that scale. 
I mean, you watch a James Bond film and you get these beautiful establishing shots of mm-hmm. wherever they are in the world. And it's really not that hard to do <laughs> to sell no. that to an audience. And I agree. I never really got a sense of the international scale of this. Maybe the best set piece in the whole movie, maybe, is not even something that has to do with going to an exotic location or an action set piece. It might actually be the heist element of this movie. Oh, the auction. Yes. The auction is great. That actually might be the best sequence in the movie, maybe, uh, outside of the uh, before-mentioned tense scene, I'll I'll just say. Yeah, it's so good. It's exciting it the editing actually has a good rhythm to it there there there's so many scenes in this film that it's just a lot of cross-cutting between different characters and different locations doing different things and it's almost like unnecessarily complicated you don't have to have all these scenes happening at once and because it creates this big ebb and flow in the energy level and tension which is one of the reasons why i think that one scene that we've been talking about works so well because it doesn't cut away to anything else. No, we're just trapped there in the room focusing on the characters in that moment all in one location. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that. And that kind of leads me to my next point here. What did you guys think of Sebastian Stan here? I think think he does as good as he can with the script he is given, but that character is so badly written that it's hard for me to kind of buy into the character regardless of his performance. I don't ever like playing a game of, oh, but what if it was this? I usually like to judge it for what it is, but I could not help but watch this and think to myself, did they originally want Richard Madden and he wasn't available? Oh, that oh. Would, oh I would have liked that. I think he could have pulled off the mysterious sort of aspect a lot better. Yeah. That's all I kept thinking of as I was watching him deliver these lines, play these moments was, man, I feel like Richard Madden would have just sold this a little bit better in terms of everything. The sexiness, the suaveness, the 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 intimidation, the danger, like everything I feel like could have been amped up just a notch more. Like, and there is one moment where Stan has a, like a line delivery where he's like, where is the drive? And I was like, oh, goddamn, like, okay. He like kind of scared the crap out of me in that moment. But other than that, uh, I just found him to be very one note monotone throughout this. Yeah, other than that point where he goes, um, as I like to call it, the full old man, he, he's kind of bland, just like the yeah. rest of the movie is like, He's fine. Nothing wrong with him per se, but like it's not it's not pulling me in really. I did like the final scene in the movie. You know, by that point the movie started to introduce like a lot of twists. Yeah. And that's when it was starting to get like a little bit more fun, but it's like it's at the very, very end. Yeah. And by that point, I'm just kind of in this mode of, okay, let's wrap this up. I don't really care anymore. You should have done this stuff earlier uh, because most of the twists in the movie are pretty predictable. Like, as I mentioned earlier, this movie feels like it's out of time and should have came out like in the mid 90s or something like that when there were a bunch of other movies doing like this exact same kind of storytelling structure only difference is obviously it probably wouldn't have been cast with, you know, these women, but everything else here from like a structure of the screenplay and the way that things like kind of play out, it all just feels so goddamn predictable. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, you know, exactly where that 
end scene, the um, I'll say the climactic scene, I guess, is going, but it's the maybe the one scene in the movie that's actually staged really well. I can see that. I, I get what you, I get what you mean. Sure, like it. There's a sense of drama to how the final reveal is revealed, even though it's obvious yeah. where it's going. All right. Well, uh, why don't we get to final thoughts at this point on the 355. Amy, do you have anything that you want to reiterate or mention that we didn't get a chance to bring up? Um, yeah. So we've all kind of brought up that Cruz is probably the MVP. I kind of want to go into more about Lupita because her relationship that she ends up having in this film is actually I actually kind of like the way it was written and I think the way it also ends not to spoil anything it gives her a moment that I was so surprised she was able to get on the level of Cruz that mm-hmm. it kind of showed a humanity within her and I think that was maybe one of the standout moments once again it is in that scene we've all been talking about but it might just be the standout moment and performance out of anyone in this film she has the best boyfriend ever in this movie seriously always understanding (laughs) he just wants her to be home for dinner he's always seen cooking dinner he always like god (laughs) this guy seriously of course is like since he's so perfect and wonderful and just letting her go and he knows i'm like well one of them is not gonna make it out of this alive Like, even at the very final moment, you're like, oh, my God, this guy is absolutely incredible. But I just wanted to highlight that because it's almost rare in a movie like that. We get something that Mm -hmm. we can still cling on to that's intimate and small and still human. And I just really sort of connected to that. Yeah. But no, I I really, really like the approach here that they did uh, with that. I thought it was really, really well done. Uh, Anything else? Uh, No, that was all I wanted to bring up. Dan? Um... uh... I just, I feel so disappointed by this movie, is what it comes down to. There was so much potential. So much potential, and, like, even more than I would have guessed with, like, not that how good these people are it was surprising to me, but the level that they're working at and the degree to which they're so good, that was surprising. And I guess, like... As far as it goes, I'm happy that this movie exists for that, I guess. Eh. <laughs> okay. Anything else? Um, no. I wish. <laughs> I just, I literally have nothing to say about this movie. Uh. It's like, so I feel bad, but it's just... It's just kind of there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's a forgettable movie. We're going to forget about this literally in, what, a week? Yeah. Something like that, if it's lucky. Uh, for my final thoughts here, uh, Jessica Chastain running through the streets with uh, with sharp aim and a red flowered dress. I'll take it. But I find it so mm-hmm. odd that she can have such incredible aim while running. But anytime she's given an opportunity in this movie to shoot someone point blank, she can't pull the fucking trigger. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, I'm still trying to understand how did Diane Kruger hop on a moving train and get inside to evade Chastain on foot. I, like, I, okay. I saw that scene play out and I, it didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I appreciate the French Connection reference. Oh. However. Dan, don't give them that much credit, please. What the fuck? <laughs> she literally blows her a kiss. I mean, it's 
straight out of the French Connection. I know, like, that's I know. But like, I literally she's in the train. I'm like, how? They didn't show her like hanging off the back of the train, or that. There's no other way. Like, ugh, I hate it so much. Lupita Nyong'o convincing each of them not to shoot one another, but to team up instead, was kind of the laziest writing I heard in the movie. That later on, uh, when she's about to say something in a very similarly corny fashion, it got called out by another character, <laughs> which I was like, okay, fine. Like, I will, I, I will appreciate that now a little bit more if you're calling attention to how incredibly cheesy this all is. <sighs> <sighs> oh, I was. We didn't really talk about it. Mm. I was really kind of upset by how dirty they did Bing Bing Fan. Yeah. Oh, yes. Do you think that that had anything to do with the China controversy? I don't know. Like, could they have possibly have done anything in editing to cut down her role or something? I don't yeah. know. The thought did, did occur to me, though. Uh, but otherwise, like, it's a forgettable action movie. Uh, there's going to be many, many others like it in the future. It's a disappointment, ultimately. Um, for me, it is just barely better than Dark Phoenix. But like I was saying earlier, uh, that bar is so low that it wasn't really that hard. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll go with I'll go with a very extremely generous four out of ten. Honestly, I, I I did not have as much fun with it as I thought I would. Not even the action set pieces were great, but there is still kind of a I don't want to say novelty, but just like an awe-inspiring feeling watching a group of talented women such as this be on screen in roles that we normally don't see them in. And if we can just use this as a blueprint to build off of to get yeah. better crafted films like this in the future, then I'm all for this being a sacrificial lamb in that case. So... <laughs> Four out of ten for me. Amy, what about you? I'm going one more. I'm giving it five, but that is purely down to a cast. I think this film shows a film can still be a little bit of fun and still bring in an audience if you have these incredible women sort of working on it. But unless you're going in and to see them, don't expect anything good from this. Dan? Yeah, I've been, since I saw it, I've been like sort of vacillating between a five and a six because at the end of the day, I, I didn't have a bad time watching this. It's like the quintessential, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed kind of film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I, it's not bad, it's just dull. And to the extent that it works, the actresses really do kind of save it and pull it up from the level of just utter pointless mediocrity. So I'm I'm probably being a little bit too generous, but I'm going to stick with a six. Yeah, it's a little too generous in my opinion. <laughs> but <laughs> I was meaning to tell you that when you handed in your review, I was like, this reads like a five, I buddy. Know. We talked about it. It's basically like an extra point. Like I'm being generous and rounding up just for how good the cast is, the main cast. Again, like poor Bing Bing Fun having to settle with being a human exposition machine and Deus Ex Machina, who makes no sense in the context of this plot. But like even she, like, she gets moments of ass kickery that are just 
fire. All right. And for Oscar potential, uh, we could just move on to our outro here. So, Dan Bear, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at Dancing Dan on Film. Amy? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Films of Amy. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of the 355 here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.